you'll take your copy of God's Word and go ahead and turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, if you are new to Bible study, uh, John is the fourth gospel, the fourth book of the New Testament. If you find the New Testament, you're going to hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you hit Acts or Romans, you've gone a little bit too far. While you're doing that, I want to take just a second, like I do every week, to encourage us to be continue to be faithful in the giving of our tithes and our offerings. Uh, the things that we, the ministries that God calls us to do, uh, often have a little bit of a cost to them as we keep air on and lights on and things like that. But there are also some other things that we do that we want to make sure are fully supported. Uh, for example, uh, right after the service, right after this service, uh, our students and the parents of our students, if you are planning to go on the Student Life Mission Camp at the beginning of the summer, or if you're interested in, in, in what that's about and what the dates are and stuff like that, uh, the student, uh, Zach and our student team will be having a meeting in the student area immediately following the service. So it's only supposed to last about 20 minutes or so. It's just an informational meeting, lets you know about camp and all that's involved with it. Uh, but how does that relate to our tithes and offerings? Doesn't camp cost? It does, but we try to keep the cost affordable. And one of the things that we'll need, this camp is in North Carolina. So one of the things that we'll have to make sure happens is that we have vans that can take our students there. Uh, so that will be a cost that we don't want to put on uh, the students and the families, but we'll, we'll make that happen as we go. Uh, another thing that, that tithes and offerings support is things that we do during the summer, like camp, but then uh, vacation Bible school. Uh, as we prepare for three to 400 uh, kids. Uh, number one, we need uh, everybody to be involved in some capacity. If you haven't already volunteered your time uh, to be with us that week, we would love for you to join in. There's there's a place for you to serve. Uh, a lot of people have asked, you know, I'm, I'm just not really a teacher kind of person. Um, the teaching is taken care of. We need people who don't mind getting kids from point A to point B and just loving on them, playing with them, keeping them safe, and making sure they're hearing the gospel uh, as we're doing doing all those things. But when you give, you allow us to get snacks, you allow us to buy curriculum, you allow us to get the crafts and things like that so that we can be with uh, those kids that week. Another thing that's going to be happening this summer is Camp Windshape. Uh, you may have read about that. You may have seen it, and you're like, what is Camp Windshape? Uh, years ago, True Kathy birthed, True Kathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, birthed Camp Windshape. It's a sports and activities camp week. Uh, they go from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's an incredible time. Uh, Jen and myself and uh, Holly, uh, dear, uh, a friend of ours uh, who's... Uh, part of the Chick-fil-A organization, we went up to Atlanta for the Windshape uh, training and information. Uh, it was like drinking from a fire hydrant. It was so much information all at once, but it is done with a level of excellence. Uh, the, the nuts and bolts of that, three things we came back with. Uh, we Campers, volunteers, and scholarships. Those are the things that we're going to be focusing on, making sure campers sign up. Uh, we have to have a certain number of kids that are, are, are a part of it. That's going to be kindergarten through sixth grade. Uh, we have to have a certain number of volunteers. For every 10 kids, we have to have at least one volunteer. They bring their team. Their team runs the show. We just jump in and, and are a part of it. We have to have one volunteer for every 10 kids. And so we're hoping to have about 200 kids. So that means 20 volunteers, but we're hoping to get about 50 people plugged in to what God's going to do that week. And then we need um, scholarships. Uh, we need to help those who might not be able to afford the cost of camp that week. And so those are the three things that you're going to be hearing about in the days and weeks uh, to come. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have an event that we've, this will be our thir a third or fourth annual trivia night. Uh, this is not a promotion for you to sign up for trivia night because we are full. 
we have 26 tables that we're going to fit in here, and we're going to go after it, and it's going to be a way fun night. But if you are like, I want to play, but I didn't, I didn't know if I could put a team together, we've probably got a couple of spots at some tables that we can, we can, you can join up with, and we would love to have you uh, be a part of that. But it's going to be a fun night. If you or your business would like to sponsor around, again, Trivia Night will go to support our students that are going on the mission camp, uh, those that work the event, whether they're with our children or whether they're here uh, and here helping run errands and things while we're doing the event. Uh, all of those proceeds will go toward our students' uh, mission trip to, to North Carolina this year. So anyway, all of that said, John chapter 9, if, you'll, if you're physically able, if you'll join us by standing in the honor of the reading of God's Word, we're going to cover all 41 verses, but we're not going to read them right now. But we are going to read verses 1 through 12. So as we stand in the honor of the reading of God's word, John chapter 9, starting with verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he's the one. Others were saying, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. You are my rock and my redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase and may we conclude our time today more like you than when we started, because we have been in your presence, we have heard your voice, and we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In day 1, it was light and dark. It was day and night. And verse 4 says that God saw the light and said that it was... Day two, God created the expanse between the waters and the sky. Day three, it was the earth and the seas. In verse 10, God saw that it was... On that same day, God created vegetation, plants, fruit, and trees. And verse 12 says, and God said that it was... Say it like you know it. And God said that it was... All right, just making sure we're there. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. In verse 14 says, and God saw that it was good. Day five, fish, sea creatures, and birds. Verse 21 says, and God saw that it was. Day six, livestock and wildlife. Verse 25, and God saw that it was. And on that same day, God created man. And verse 31 says that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. God created the world, and when God created the world, God created the world good. And our role, our original assignment was to oversee creation, to rule over it, to steward it, to manage it, and to take care of it. 
But then sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. The world was good when God created it, but then sin entered the picture. In Romans chapter 5 verse 12, it says it like this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, which was Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. All sinned. That's inclusive of all of us. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Adam and Eve started the trend, but you and I are keeping it alive. Sin entered the world, it corrupted the good, and it continues as long as humanity does what it shouldn't or doesn't do what it should. Sin continues as long as we do what we shouldn't or as long as we don't do that which we should. And because of this, as one author put it, we have been born spiritually blind into a world populated exclusively by people who have been born spiritually blind. We have been born spiritually blind into a world populated exclusively by people who have also been born spiritually blind. I'm starting with the bottom line this morning because ultimately that is what we're talking about. That is the reason this situation happens. That is the reason that John includes this story in his gospel. Verse 1, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. All right, let's pause real quickly just to see where we are. We're in the temple of Jerusalem. Actually, technically we're right outside. Because at the end of chapter 8 and verse 59, it tells us that Jesus had ticked off a bunch of Jewish people and they were trying to stone him, so he hid and he secretly got out of the temple. But more importantly than where we are on a map is where we are spiritually. It's going to be incredibly valuable for us to understand where we are spiritually because this story is told best and completely understood when we see how it's set up. In chapter 7, Jesus sends his disciples up to Jerusalem for a festival. At the end of chapter 7, uh, chapter 6 was the, was the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water. And in chapter 7, Jesus sends them to a festival in Jerusalem. He's just fed the 5,000. He's just walked on water. And now he's sending them up to Jerusalem for this fe- festival. Um, he's going to follow behind them, but he's going to do it. A little more discreetly, uh, but this, this, this first little piece of information that we're getting ready to look at forms the backdrop for the story of the man born blind. The healing of the man born blind happens with what we're about to discover as the backdrop. The festival is called the Feast of Tabernacles, or it's called the Feast of Shelters. And it is a week-long uh, celebration. It's probably a little bit too mighty of a word, but it's a, it's a, it's a week-long uh, remembrance of the 40 years that the nation of Israel spent in wilderness. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, generations before this has happened, as Moses has led the people of the book of Exodus, Moses has led the, the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, out of Egyptian bondage, and toward the promised land, to the promised land. They come to the edge or the precipice of the promised land, and they're looking at the promised land, and Joshua, who's leading the people, sends 12 spies into the promised land. He wants to navigate the situation. There are other people, there are godless nations that are, are inhabiting the promised land, and Joshua sends these, or, or the most sends these, these 12 spies into the land to see what the land could look like, to, to go ahead and plan and, and create a, a strategy for taking the land. And as these 12 spies come back, 10 of them look at, look at their leaders and they say, we can't do it. 
I know that God has promised us this land. I know that God has called us to this land, but we can't do it. We understand that God has already given us this land. Yes, we understand that it's the same God who just brought us out of Egypt. We understand that it's the same God that delivered us from slavery. We understand that it's the same God that parted the Red Sea. We understand it's the same God that drowned uh, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's army. We understand, we understand, but we can't do it. We're so small. We're like grasshoppers. They will squash us. We understand that that's what God's promised us but we can't do it two of the guys were like let's go but 10 were like we can't do it and so God rewarded their faithlessness with 40 years of wandering in the wilderness so that that generation would pass and a generation that believed he could do it would come up now the two that said we got this they lasted long they lived long enough and they got to go into the promised land incredible story for another day but for now this where we were so what's happening is this is this celebration this feast of shelters this feast of tabernacles is not necessarily a celebration of that punishment but more it is a remembrance of how God provided during that 40 years, specifically as God demonstrated his provision and his presence in the people's lives. God became a, presented himself as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as he guided the people in the wilderness toward the promised land. And so what happened is this, 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 at this celebration, they have this event called the illumination of the temple. The illumination of the temple where they would set up these candelabras and they would light them up and the entire city would be lit up so that all the surrounding nations would know there was something incredibly special about the nation of Israel, about the city of Jerusalem. And so that they would also be reminded as much as the people of God would be reminded that God's presence would always be with them. So the the lighting up, the illumination of the temple in Jerusalem is a reminder of the pillar of fire. It is a reminder of the light. And this is the backdrop for which Jesus will, will provide one of his I am statements that we're going to be talking about in the next series of sermons that we'll do. Right now, we're walking through the seven signs and wonders found in John's gospel. The next sermon series that we're going to be in are the seven I am statements. And what happens is with this as the backdrop, with the entire city lit up, Jesus looks at his disciples as he's teaching them and those that are following him. And he says in chapter 8, verse 12, he speaks to them again. And with that as the backdrop, he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So with the backdrop of this, these candelabras lit up, the reminder of the presence of God in the pillar of fire, Jesus looks at his disciples. Jesus looks at the people listening to him. He says, now, you remember this, but know this now. I I am the light of the world. Will anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the backdrop. And as Jesus is leaving the temple and he comes across this man who was born blind. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind since birth. The guy is probably just sitting there hoping, hoping to, to, uh, to benefit from the compassion of the people coming in and out of worship. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This wouldn't have been an uncommon thought. We mentioned it several weeks ago when Jesus healed, uh, I think it was chapter 5, Jesus healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. Generally speaking, they're not wrong. Sin and suffering are connected We suffer because of Genesis chapter 3. When God created the world, he created the world 
But then sin entered the world and sin corrupted that goodness. Not God's goodness, but the goodness that he created. And he created, and so there is a direct relationship to sin and suffering. But between sin and this man's blindness, Dr. Dr. Danny Aiken said it this way. He said, sin and suffering are connected as a result of the historic fall of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3. However, moving from the general truth to a particular connection in each and every instance, it lacks biblical evidence and theological justification. And Jesus addresses the question head on and straightforward. He says, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, Jesus is not saying that they've never sinned. He's just correcting this misunderstanding. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came out about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day, while there is still time. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. Night is the end of the day. Night is the end of life. Night is when there won't be opportunity to to work anymore. Night is coming when no one can work. And then Jesus repeats his statement from chapter 8 again. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. God created the world good. Sin came in and corrupted it. And when sin entered the world, so did darkness. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and those that are listening. He is saying, it is dark all around us, but I am the light of the world. Where the disciples and the Jewish people that have been following him are really trying to engage Jesus in this theological debate over the relationship between the man's sin and his physical condition, that's not even close to what Christ's priority is. His priority is the divine assignment that God has given him. His priority is the divine assignment that is this man's healing. After he said these things, he spit on the ground made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud in his eyes. I can remember one of the first times I read this story to, to my children. Cadence just went, ugh. <laughs> and I've been asked numbers of times, and I've looked, and, and the question is, why, why does he do it this way? Why, what, what's, what, what is this representative of? I don't know. And I can't find one scholar or one commentator that can give you an unequivocal, this is the the answer. And I'm actually kind of glad because the why and the how are far less important than the who. I don't come across a lot of people who once they've been healed of something, Julie and I have had numerous friends who have had this disease or this illness or this cancer. And when when they came to... To, to a time where they, they were healed, very few of them went, I don't know why this happened. I just want to know why this happened. I just really would like to know why this happened. More, more importantly, they gave credit to where credit was due. He spits on the ground. He makes mud with the spit. He rubs it in the guy's eye. Go, he tells him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and he came back seeing. He left washed, and he came back seen after he had been to the pool of Siloam. Again, context matters. I'm super excited. I know I'm stumbling all over myself because I'm so excited. I love small stuff like this. Context matters. So go back with me to chapter 8. Do me a favor. As we continue to journey together, when you turn your Bibles, I know a lot of you are using your your devices, but if you turn your pages, make a big deal so I know you're in your Bibles. Even if you just like, you know... But let's bring our Bibles. Let's have our Bibles with us. 
That's kind of important. Turn with me to John chapter 8. and start at verse 12 where Jesus declares himself the light of the world. Jesus has just declared himself, I'm the light of the world. But look at this. Look at verse 16. And if I pause, it means I want you to read out loud. It says this. Verse 16 says, It is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Verse 18, find verse 18. I am the one who testifies about myself and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Verse 26, the one who sent me is true and what I have heard from him, these are the things that I tell the world. Verse 29, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. Look at verse 42, skip down to verse 42. I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. What's the relevance? Jesus was sent by the Father. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus was sent by the Father, humbled himself, and was obedient. The man born blind has now been sent by Jesus. The man born blind has now humbled himself. The man born blind has just been obedient. And now he has gone to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. The one sent from God sent the man. The man is about to be also sent. We'll see that in a minute. I'm telling you, it's not a random coincidence that that's there and that's the backdrop. So he healed. He sees. Go. Wash in the pool of Siloam. So he left, he washed, and he came back seeing. And so he's healed and he sees. And this begins this uh, three-part investigation, which really becomes this interrogation. His neighbors don't know what to make about any of this. They wonder if it's even really him. He tells them exactly how it happened. They want to see Jesus as well. But he 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 doesn't know what the Savior looks like, so he doesn't know how to point him out. They don't know what to do with any of this. So they eventually bring in the Pharisees. Well, here we go. The religious leaders. Again, not all bad guys. Guys that were tasked with guarding and protecting the integrity of, of the Scriptures. And yet they, they, they just, they just kind of went off the range. They just kind of veered left, veered right. They just kind of made it. They got real power hungry with it. They just... And these guys don't like Jesus. And, and, and as we increase along the journey, they become more antagonistic and more hostile. Their focus becomes uh, ending Jesus. Their whole line of questioning that we're about to see is to undermine Jesus. Uh, and so we have three rounds of really interrogation and investigation. Round one is, is verses 13 through 17. They go after him for healing on the Sabbath. Uh, and, and they've done this before. You know, you know, Jesus has made the same mistake before, John chapter 5, the, the paralytic at the pool. And, and in their minds, he is a sinner because he is healing on the Sabbath. Folks, this never ceases to floor me. So here's, here's a man born blind. He has never seen a day in his life. He doesn't know colors. He doesn't know what people look like. He, he has never seen anything. And he is standing before them, able to talk it all out, able to look straight up. And they're worried about the fact that he got healed on the Sabbath. That's what bothers them. I'm telling you, if we had a healing in this place and somebody walked up and didn't like that it happened during the service because they got better things to do with their time, I'm just going to be floored. But that's where they are. I can't believe he healed you on the Sabbath. Yes, I know you were blind and I know that was not fun. But I can't believe he healed you of today of all days. He could have waited 24 hours. Mondays work for healings as well. 
But they struggle with this line of accusation because Jesus has just healed this man and the crowd has seen it as well. And the man's testimony doesn't help their cause. When they, when they ask him, they want him to say that, that Jesus is, 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 is professing to be the Messiah. They want him to, to undermine Jesus, but his testimony is simply, he, he's a prophet. In other words, this guy is capable of doing something on this level. He must have been sent from God. So they move on to round two. They can't, they can't undermine the healing. So they're going to try to disprove the miracle. They can't get them on a sin charge, so they're going to try to disprove the miracle. Verse 18, round two is verses 18 through 23. Verse 18 says they, they, they don't believe that he'd been born blind. They'd seen him, they know, but they, this isn't the same guy. You know, this, this is a different guy. They just look alike. You know, they just all look alike. So this, this guy's all the blind people, they just all look alike. So, so this isn't him. This is another blind guy. So they bring in his parents. They bring in his parents and they start, and his parents' interjection is a, is a lesson kind of within the lesson. Listen to the conversation. They asked the parents, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know that this is our son. And, and he, yes, he was born blind, but, but we don't know how he sees and, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's an adult. Uh, he can speak for himself. So here's what's happening. This is the lesson within the lesson. Uh, believing on Jesus and publicly confessing belief was increasingly becoming an unpopular decision. You could follow him. You could, you could, you could, you could, oh, wow, that was, wow, oh, my gosh. And you could sit and you could listen to his teaching, but to publicly, I can remember one. Uh, you remember when we used to do the Easter pageants? You know, the big Easter pageant. Anybody know? I'll just talk to somebody that does. Karen. Do you remember when they used to do Easter pageants? It was a day of, you know, everybody wear bathrobes and sandals and, you know, yeah, Jesus. And, and I can remember being with my youth minister and we were in the crowd and, and, and Wayne was a Pharisee and I was just in the crowd and my, Wayne forgot that his microphone was on. That's important. And so we get to this point in the song and, and, and Jesus lifts lifts the little girl, and she comes back to life. And Wayne, Wayne's on his, we're in the back, and Wayne goes, well, that was all right. <laughs> they can't get him on the sin charge, so they tried to disprove the miracle. They bring the parents in, and the parents, the parents Hey, just ask him. He can speak for himself. Why? Because, because publicly confessing belief, it was okay to, to follow from a distance. It was, it was okay to, to sit and listen. But to publicly confess your belief in Jesus and his teachings would have put you completely at odds with the religious leadership and the temple leadership. And that was not a good thing. It was pitting you against the power players. One commentator said it, public faith in Jesus had serious consequences. And I would offer you, church, that we are entering a day where public faith in Jesus has serious consequences. And we need to stand firm in our faith in our Savior. Because this, is not, this world is not our home. And if we're going to be light, and if we're going to be salt, and if we're going to have a testimony, it will cause us to stand firm. We will have to stand firm. 
So they can't disprove the miracle. It is him. He was the one born blind. His parents testified to it. He testifies to it. They can't argue against the miracle, but they can't acknowledge, they can't either acknowledge that this man has been sent from God. So round three, verses 24 through 34. Round three is another attempt on Jesus' character. Verse 24, give glory to God. Give glory to God, not this man. This man is a sinner. This, and the thing is, the blind man is not interested in a theological debate. He knows one thing and one thing only about this situation. Verse 25, I was blind, but now I see. But he actually takes it a bit further and turns it back on them as they continue, they continue to push back. So, so how, what did he do to you? How did he open up your eyes? And listen to his response. I already told you, and you didn't listen. Do you want me to tell you again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I already told you this. We've already been down this, but I will be more than glad to walk you through the whole story. I'll be glad to tell you how I heard him spit into the mud. I'll be glad to tell you how I heard him scoop up the mud. I'll be glad to tell you how he put the mud in my eyes. I didn't see it coming, but I felt it when he got to me. Here's the deal. I'll be glad to tell you all about this if you want to become his disciples too. Do you see what he said? Do you see what he says? He doesn't say, do you want to become his disciples? He says, do you want to become his disciples? Comma, T-O-O. Also, in other words, I'm convinced, I believe, my life's been changed. I am a disciple. Do you want to become a disciple too? The, the son that was sent sends the blind man, and now the blind man has been sent and is taking the gospel to other people. He has decided his life has been changed, and now he is the one who is sent, and he's trying to send others. Yes, there is a little bit of pushback, and a little bit of sarcasm, and a little bit of banter here, but he's looking at them, and he's saying, I'll do it all over again again. I'll keep telling this story because it has changed my life. I've been blind since birth. I've never been able to see. And now not only are my eyes open, but my life, my spiritual eyes are open as well. Do you want to become his disciples too? Talk about boldness. Boom, mic drop. Somewhere in this inquisition, his belief, his faith has solidified. It has become more certain. It has become more genuine. And it displays itself even more so in their final interaction. You're that man's disciple. They're mocking him now. They're, they're speaking down to him. You're that man's disciples, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. And the man is just on it. The man that was blind is just on it. You know what? That's absolutely amazing. You don't know anything about him. He healed me. He opened my eyes physically and spiritually. You don't know anything about him. He doesn't stop there. He just keeps bringing it. We both know that God doesn't listen to sinners. The only sinners that God listens to are those that come to him in repentance asking for forgiveness. But if anyone is God fearing and does his will, that's who God listens to. He's basing this on Psalm 66 verses 16 through 20. Come and listen all who fear God and I will tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth and praise was on my tongue. If I had been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. However, God has listened. He has paid attention for the sound of my prayer. Blessed be God. He has not turned away from my prayer or turned his faithful love away from me. We both know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God fearing and does God's will, then God's li God listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a man born blind 
blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't have been able to do it. You guys call yourself educated. You guys call yourself leaders. You guys call yourself authorities. And you guys don't know squat. Here's what I know. I was blind and now I see. And this man named Jesus, he's the one who did it. I'm the one who has experience with this dude. And I'm telling you with assurance, he is the real deal. God sent this guy. He opens eyes. He does God's will. God listens when this guy prays. There's just too much evidence. And because they don't get their way, they kick him out of the temple. Well, you, you're, you're, just, you're just useless to us. And later on, Jesus finds him and he asks him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now granted, keep in mind, Jesus is walking up to him. He's never seen Jesus before. So it's just, just some guy. And the Son of Man is, a, is an Old Testament reference to the Messiah. A reference from the book of Ezekiel. A reference from one of the other prophets. Uh, the Son of Man is a reference to the Messiah. And, 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 and in this dialogue that he's having with Jesus, Jesus reveals himself as the one who healed him. And verse 38 says, I believed. And he worships him. I believe, Lord. And he worships him. If I mention the name Ann Sullivan, does that ring a bell? She was born in 1866, and at the age of five, she contracted an illness called trachoma. It left her with significantly painful vision loss. At the age of eight, her mother passed away. Two years later, her father abandoned her and her sister. At the age of 14, she entered the Perkins Institute for the Blind, which is in, it's in Watertown, uh, Massachusetts. It's, it's now known as the Perkins School for the Blind. In 1881, she received a surgery that partially restored a, a little bit of her sight. And five years later, she graduated at the head of her class. Right after graduation, she moved to Tuscumbia, Alabama, where she became the charge of a little six-year-old girl named Helen Keller. Helen Keller... Uh, was 19 months old when she became seriously ill. Uh, Some believe it might have been meningitis. Some believe it might have been scarlet fever. But whatever it was, it didn't take her life. It just, it left her blind and deaf. And because it happened when it happened, uh, the blindness and the deafness also made her mute. She wasn't wasn't able to talk. And and through an incredibly painstaking process, uh, Sullivan taught Keller um, how to how to feel objects, how to how to spell them out, uh, how to how to read by by feeling the raised letters. Uh, it was a predecessor to Braille at the time, and she taught her how to communicate. She also she also stuck with Helen during the, the majority of her life, as other instructors taught her how to read Braille, taught her uh, how to actually even speak with her with her mouth and with sounds, and also how to how to with her hands uh, follow lips and and jaw structure and, and learn how to communicate. That way, ultimately, Helen Keller graduated both from high school and from college, and she ended up authoring a number of works and was actively involved in raising awareness and assistance and education and influencing uh, on behalf of, of the deaf and the blind in our society. Ann Sullivan was simply known as teacher. And in Helen Keller's 1903 autobiography entitled The Story of My Life, she describes the impact that Sullivan had on her life. And she says this, Have you ever been at sea in a dense fog when it seemed as if a tangible white darkness shut you in and the great ship, tense and anxious, groped her way toward the shore and you waited with beating heart for something to happen? 
I was like that ship before my education began. Only I was without a compass or a sounding line, and I had no way of knowing how near the harbor was. Light! Give me light! was the wordless cry of my soul, and the light of love shone on me in that very hour. I felt approaching footsteps, and I stretched out my hand as I supposed it to be my mother. Someone took it, and I was caught up and held close in the arms of her who had come to reveal all things to me, and more than all things else, to love me. In the beginning, God created the world and it was good. But then sin entered the world and with sin, spiritual darkness with it. And mankind and all of creation began crying out, Light! Give me light! And with our hands outstretched, someone took it and drew us close in his arms. Because Jesus came to reveal all things, but more than anything else, to love us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6 say, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. For God said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. No one will ever be argued or debated into the kingdom of God. No one will ever be argued or debated into a relationship with God. God has to open their eyes. He has to shine the light. He has to give them sight. A name that you might be a little bit more familiar with is the name of John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader. He bought and sold African Africans for a price. And somewhere along the line, God got a hold of John Newton's life. At the same time that God got a hold of his life, John Newton was physically becoming unable to see. And while he lost his physical sight, John Newton received his spiritual sight. And he wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see t'was grace that taught my heart and grace my fears relieve how precious is that grace the hour I first believe my chains are gone let's stand and sing my chains are gone I've been set 
our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing because in this case the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers in order to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ but God said let light shine out of the darkness and let that light that has shone in our hearts give the light of the knowledge of God's glory which is in the face of Jesus Christ when there is light There is sight.
And when it is his light and it is his sight, it is for all eternity. So, Father, open our eyes and open our hearts to the light that you have given us that is in Christ Jesus. And may we either be bold enough to accept it ourselves, recognizing our need, recognizing that we are lost in utter darkness, that we need the light. Or may we be brave enough and obedient enough to carry that light with us into a very dark world so that it may be a light that shines for those that we love and those that we want to spend eternity with. Because we ask this in the name of the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night or we'll see you next Sunday.